Hi folks, Jason Crane here reminding you about the 100 by 300 campaign. The idea is to get 100 members by the 300th show. Membership is easy. You can do it in one lump sum each year or month to month for as little as 10 bucks a month or $110 a year. If you choose one of the higher levels, particularly the $500 a year or $50 a month level, you'll be mentioned on every single show. You'll be an official sponsor of the Jazz Session. The 100 by 300 campaign. Visit thejazzsession.com slash join to become a member today. Once again, that's thejazzsession.com slash join. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is archived for free at thejazzsession.com, and you can also subscribe in iTunes or using an RSS reader, and the details on how to do that are at thejazzsession.com. Also, uh, you may know at thejazzsession.com, I hope you know because you just listened to an advertisement about it a couple seconds ago, uh, that you can become a member of this show. And in fact, I need you to do that. Please do become a member. Uh, We've got uh, almost 20 so far on the way to 100, but uh, I really need your support. I know that thousands of you listen to this show, and uh, for years I've been doing it uh, just for free, and uh, that's getting to be difficult to afford. So I need your help to keep the jazz session going. Uh, Many, many people have emailed me over the years to say how much they enjoy the interviews, and uh, I really appreciate that. And if you could express that enjoyment monetarily, uh, that would be great, too. If you don't become a member, you'll still get to listen to the shows, even though you'll kind of be freeloading. Uh, but if you do become a member, there's going to be some bonus content coming up, um, including some special uh, offers on tickets for shows and uh, bonus audio content and that kind of thing. So uh, all that is coming very soon. So please do become a member. Uh, when I was in New York a couple weeks ago, I had the chance to uh, go over to David Binney's place and uh, talk with him about music. He's uh, just such a fantastic uh, writer, fantastic uh, saxophone player, and a person who really seems uh, driven to continue to create music. I mean, just one of these guys around whom so much interesting stuff revolves. Uh, it was a pleasure to hang out with him and uh, also to listen to this new record of his, Grayland Epicenter, uh, which begins with a track called All of Time.
My guest is saxophonist and composer David Binney. Uh, he's got always a million new albums, but uh, the one we're particularly going to focus on today is on mythology. It's called uh, Grayland Epicenter, and it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Jason. So, uh, I don't know, I've been a, a big fan of your work for years and years and have talked to you before, although not on the jazz session, but this album seems to me to have, uh, I don't know, found some some deeper, even deeper well in, in your uh compositional approach i've just really been amazed by it how much there is there to hear on repeated listenings can you talk a little bit about uh either how you how you establish the format the palette that you were going to use um for this record well um yeah i uh, i'll just start from the beginning of why i even recorded this record actually i was touring in the summertime last summer 2010 um with the quartet of uh, Craig Taborn, Ivan Dobsvik, and Brian Blade. And uh, we had a few gigs, uh, and uh, including Newport and and some some things like that. And over the years, especially when Brian's involved because he's so busy, uh, when I've done that, which is usually once a year, I, uh, I always think, well, we should go into the studio after that. We've just been playing, and, you know, we should go into the studio. So... I booked, I asked everybody, everybody was into it, and I booked a couple of days in the studio after the thing, and I figured, um, I had, once I did that, I started to think, you know, in my head I started to think, uh, you know, I, maybe this time I'm going to record the quartet and add different people on it and make it sort of not, not you know, maybe not the same people on every track and, and all that. And as it as I thought about it, things developed. I thought of having two drummers because I did a gig at the 55 bar once with both Blade and Dan Weiss, and uh, it worked out great at the same, you know, at the same time. So I thought about that on some tracks. I've been playing a lot with Wayne Krantz, uh, Gretchen. I had been, actually, I went to Switzerland for a week with basically the band that's on the record, or at least seven of the people. Um, including Gretchen and Ambrose and uh, Weiss, Tabor and Ivan Krantz. And um, I figured, okay, I'd combine that with the quartet thing and um, and make this record. And I started writing for both tours, basically. And, uh, and that was it, you know. And when we came back uh, from all that, I went right into the studio and recorded, basically recorded... Uh, yeah, we, we recorded two days and uh, had different people coming in. And I added a couple of people like Chris Potter and and um, some percussion, Kenny Wallace, and that, which actually Kenny did a lot of the percussion and the vibes right here in this room that you're sitting in because, he, like I said, he lives upstairs. <laughs> he just brings this stuff down, and I hang mics from that thing. And this is a great room to record in. It's just with the round thing, it's, it's you know. So uh, that's it. And then I spent time mixing and, you know, sort of, post-production a lot of that I sang on it and you know uh, just fix things up and and um, that's that's how it came about
Yeah, I wanted to talk about uh, the very first track in which you sing at the end. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I have a tendency toward the romantic, so if this is totally off the base, you can tell me. But by the time your vocals come in at the end, uh, and the If I Could Only See You line, I think, right? Mm-hmm. It, um, it To me, that gives that track and then almost the whole rest of the album this kind of searching or longing quality. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm supposed to read into it, but it, mm-hmm. but it strikes me that way when I when I hear that. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I didn't think of it that way, but um, it could be, you know? I don't know. Um, I What happened with those lyrics, and and there's another time I sing on the, on the record, um, I write a lot of the stuff here, and a lot of the melodies I've written for a lot of records have come through vocalizing, because I'm usually playing the piano with two hands, and... Uh, and I'm thinking of a melody on top of chords or something. So I'm off, often um, verbalizing or, or singing the melodies, and a lot of times I'll have a mic going and, and I'll record the, the melodies and then figure them out later and write them for instruments usually. But uh, recently I thought, why don't I just, you know, maybe sometimes just sing these melodies like I do uh, and you know, while I'm writing them. And a lot of times when I'm writing them, uh, some random lyrics are coming out, which is what happened with that, and that's just what I was singing. I don't, I have no idea why, um, but that's what I was singing. Then later on, I thought, well, I'll change the lyrics. I'll make them, you know, hipper or something. I don't know. <laughs> and I tried. Uh, even a friend of mine tried, and she was, she came up with, but we never, you know, I was like, I didn't like it. What I came up with, she was, you know, not coming up with much, and. Um, I realized, you know, this is fine like it is. It's very sort of corny and romantic, but, you know, that could be okay. You yeah. Know? <laughs> um, so I just left it like that. I mean, there are only a few lines, but I left it like that, and um, I kind of worried about it a little bit. I thought, what are my friends going to think of this? I mean, you know, it's you know, it just sounds a little, uh, you know, sort of sappy or something. But... I don't. I think it's been fine. Everybody liked it so far that I've talked to, and it's fine with me. So, and it, it is a big part of me. Like I cry at you know romantic comedies sometimes. So, yeah, yeah. So I guess maybe there's something deep in there. Even though I consider myself a very happy person, but maybe there's something I don't know. But longing. I don't know. Um, you know, later on, I was thinking of another angle of maybe why that came out. I um. I had been. My mother passed away about five years ago, and I was thinking about her a lot. Somehow I was dreaming. Uh, and she died in August when a lot, a lot of that stuff was written. So maybe it, it had something to do with that, too. Um, but I'm not sure. I really don't know why. This is really kind of random, as is the title. Um, a lot of stuff is is just feeling. It's just whatever I feel, whatever it sounds like. Um, I don't always think about it or analyze these things too much. Thank you. 
does the title come from? From something? It comes or? from absolutely nothing. Everybody asks me now, and, and is what Chris was telling me. Uh, Tijeralamo, he, he was saying, you know, everyone's going to ask you about this, and I said that's fine, you know. But um, I, yeah, I was try- having trouble titling things, or not trouble. I just kind of wait till the last minute, and I was on my way to the mastering session, which is. If you know, you know that's you have to have the title by then because they <laughs> they imprint it on the CD right. so that it comes up on everyone's car stereos or whatever. So I thought, okay, I I'm you know three train stops away from Systems Two, I have to come up with a title. And I I kept thinking about it. I was reading titles on my phone, you know, because I, I was also titling tunes at the same time on the on the way to the this mastering session. It was still about five tunes I hadn't titled, and that title kept coming to my head I have no idea it meant absolutely nothing to me but it kept coming to my head and I got into the studio and Mike Marciano who, who mixes and masters the record I said what do you think about this title and uh, I told him Grayland Epicenter and he goes I kind of like that I, I don't know why but I like it and I said yeah me too I have no idea and and I thought well what Grayland means nothing to me Epicenter I grew up in California so like, very near the San Andreas Fault, so a lot of earthquakes and stuff. You know, were always the epicenter of the earthquake was over there. So I heard that 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 word a lot as a kid, but um, it still didn't mean anything to me. And then I looked it up on the web. Absolutely nothing came up, which I thought was a good thing because now if anyone you know hears that name and they Google it, it's just it's just to do with this record, right? You know, <laughs> which is not a, a bad thing. So I thought, okay, it works on certain levels, you know. So. I, I just I named it that, and then it. What's great is, just by some little decision like that, things take a life of their own. So I gave it to the artist who did all this really kind of incredible drawings on the on the covers, and he kind of focused on. He was asking me what's it mean, but he kind of developed his own idea of what it was and created this art, artwork around it. So now there's this whole feel to it because he created artwork and the you know the sound of the name and. Um, it's just interesting how these things can happen. But again, I don't know where that name came from. It just sort of came to me. Yeah, it's so interesting, too, that all of that happened after the fact. Literally as after the fact as it possibly could have happened. I mean, three yeah. train stops oh, yeah. from the place. So that rather than some unifying concept for the album or feeling for the album, it was something applied afterward, but that right. still somehow seems to work. Well, there's a, there's a large... I mean, there's a big feeling for these records before I do them. But it's purely just a feeling and, a, and sometimes colors or, you know... Uh, people that I want to use, ensembles, it never comes in the form of names or um, anything like that. Uh, it, it's it's not it's just feeling, you know. It, it's I have a whole thing if I could go off, but I have a whole thing about the stuff with grants and everything. Now, if you if you go for a grant, you know, I don't know if you know this, but with musicians, they they make you write about the whole concept and what it's going to be about and I've applied for some of these grants and I never get them because I'm I'm horrible about explaining a concept ba- uh music based on a concept because I don't it's not for me it's I write a lot of music and it's music it's sound um I don't want to I don't even want to have to explain it in 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 words especially for a grant but they you know for to be to get these grants you have to have a whole concept based on you know some math equation or some ancient you know Greek literature or something you know they want something like that else they don't they won't give you the grant 
I've literally tried to get grants and just said, listen, I'm just trying to write some good new music, and this is the ensemble. That, forget it. Not interested. Which is ridiculous. Because, yeah. you know, it's ridiculous. Some of the stuff that gets funded, I hear it, it's, it's just somebody wrote something really uh, good, some proposal, and then the music is horrible. So, uh, and that happens all the time. I would venture to say at least half of the granted things that I've heard have sound like that to me. Um, so at this point, I, I, I gave up even trying for any kind of grants. But um, but that's a, a thing for me. I just, I don't, I don't need anything to create music. You know, I don't need any story behind it. I don't need any title. Um, so every, all these titles or any of these records have all come basically at the last minute. That, and, to, and you can ask any of the musicians who play with me. Uh, they don't. When I retitle these tunes on the gig, if I call it that title, it's completely confusing because they know it as you know, new tune number four, or you know, some name of my cat or so, something you know that I just jotted down to differentiate it from some other tune. Um, but yeah, I don't need uh, any of that stuff, and I don't do it until the very end. You know. Yeah, the ridiculousness of that. Uh, at least a potential ridiculousness of so that grant process is, I think, shown if you try to imagine going back in history and having, you know, like tell, have Art Blakey write a exactly. report about what Monin is about. Right. right you know, exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. There, it's gotten so messed up. And I argued, actually, with the Chamber Music America people because I, I for a Screets thing, actually, because I was, uh, I backed him because he's a foreign, you know, guy and blah, blah, blah. Um, and, you know, they invited me to the show, uh, the, to the award ceremony after they turned me down by the Screet One, <laughs> which the Screet deserved to win something. But, I, you know, I, the music I gave them was was amazing. It had Brian Blade on it, it had, all, you know, Tabor and all these people. Um, and it, it was it was good work that I did, I felt, you know. And I know it was better than most of the stuff that they granted. But they, you know, turned me down and because I didn't have any concept. I know that's what it was about. So I, I kind of said, well, don't invite me to the awards dinner then just because I, you know, I don't want to show up and have to sit there. And um, then they, it was a whole scene. And then I got that, once it was a whole scene, I started to tell them, well, listen, this is ridiculous. This whole thing about writing um, all these, this, uh, this explanation of the music and what it should it's based on. And, you know, um, but they're they're completely into that stuff, and you know it's it is what it is. They can do what they want, but they're missing out. <laughs> they're missing a lot of good music and a lot of I'm sure a lot of good art by doing that. And they're funding a lot of stuff that is just crap, basically, um, because there's a lot of people that are good, really good at getting grants that really aren't good at writing music.
One thing uh, that's cool about how prolific you are is that it gives you a chance to explore compositions again. For example, Home, I think this is the third time it's appeared, and this time right. it has Gretchen Parlato's lyrics yeah. attached to it. Can you just talk about why it appears again and how Gretchen came to write lyrics? Well, it wouldn't have appeared again because I'd already recorded it twice, and I had no intention of recording it again. But in this other group that uh, I have with uh, Ed, Ed Simon... Uh, Edward Simon is it's called a Finney Dodd, and we've had this for years. We did some gigs in the South uh, earlier last year with a larger, well, it's kind of the size group that we usually record with. We've done a couple records, but um, we finally got to kind of take that group on the road for a few gigs, and um, and Gretchen was part of it, uh, and uh, we did Home. Um, because Edward liked that tune, and we hadn't played it in a long time, and we and we were, had recorded it on Oceanos, this other record we did. Uh, Lu Luciana Souza sang it, so we did it. And with Gretchen, and Gretchen really liked the song, and she actually said, "Can I write lyrics to this?" And I said, "Yeah, go ahead. That would be fantastic." So she wrote lyrics to it, which I really liked, and uh, and we we performed it on that little tour, like that. And we, we did a different version where we play it instrumentally in the original key, and then we kind of go into, we change keys uh, for Gretchen's version. And, um, and I really liked it. I thought, well, this, here's a tune that we've done, I've done now two diff completely different ways, once with Frizzell and, you know, and then the other with Ed Simon. And now here's a, a third way that's really completely different that's kind of, maybe this is kind of interesting for people to hear the same tune done this way so I decided to record it and Gretchen sang it great and she liked singing it so um, so I put it on the record once again you know um, I was thinking about you know there's a long solo on it that I take at the end I was thinking about maybe um, doing a radio edit version where I fade on that solo and try to maybe get some radio airplay because then it would be about four and a half minutes before the solo comes in and uh, just a nice tight kind of vocal version of it I'm thinking about doing that.
you uh, you mentioned that there are two drummers and two percussionists on this record, not not all the time on every track. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess that leads me to wonder how, uh, with that much going on and all the other musicians that there are, how, what is your role as kind of the the guide, the the band leader, the orchestrator? How much of the contributions of those musicians is scripted by you? How much is uh, you just allow them to create on their own? Well. Um... Again, I think if you asked any of the musicians who played with me over the years, uh, they know that you know the writing part of what I do is uh, is I like to hear pretty much like it's written, although with their you know sound on it. But especially for piano players, certain chord voicings and everything, I write them out like in classical style, so that it's not a chord symbol. There will be a chord symbol, but it's the chord stack, as we call it, is written out. So. Uh, the written material is played lo- exactly like I wrote it. I didn't uh, just want to jump in for the listener who may not understand that. So in other words, the the order on the piano in which the pitches appear is actually notated. Not, exactly. Not just what chord to play. Right. Okay. Yeah, Not it doesn't say C major 7. It's it's actually writ- the C major chord is written out literally in a, in a voicing and, uh, you know, that kind of... So, um, so the written material is like that, but... the but what happens uh, with most of my music, ninety percent, ninety-five percent of my music, is we get into you know solo sections or open sections, which are completely open. Like I, I uh, you know, whatever anybody wants to do is fine with me. And I just, I think the biggest thing is just to get the right musicians, musicians you like, and I, I like their decisions and their sounds and everything. And then you sort of give them written material. And let them do what they do with it. Um, so, but the written material I like to hear the way I, I wrote it because I spent a lot of time, and it's a very specific sound. But then the stuff—if you ever come to the fifty-five bar gigs or something—is a good example. We we play the written material, although that at the bar, I mean, that gets all convoluted too because uh, we've been playing a lot of stuff for years. But then the improvisation happens, and it's completely different every time. And I never know what's going to happen, and I. I just, you know, go with it and create, you know, or or if I lead during those those sections, it's, it's musically, it's you know, as a soloist or whatever. Um, so you know, it's very open music uh, and yet very controlled in certain ways too. But um, I think if you ask the musicians, everybody would say they have a lot of fun playing it because it's it's actually ultimately not controlled at all it's you know it's you, you read the written material and then you just go you know yeah so uh, that's sort of what happens so i never know what these tunes are actually going to sound like um other than the written material when i get into the studio and then once i i've got the version the versions i've i like from the studio i start working on them a lot at home or whatever you know and craft them that way you know
do you feel at this point like there's kind of a a, a group of people, a, a, an orbit of people with whom you're particularly comfortable that you return to again and again? It, it feels that way to me, but I don't know if that's an accurate reflection of how you feel about the people you play with. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, definitely. I mean, I've played with a lot of the people for years. Um, and then even the younger musicians uh, that I feel comfortable with, um, you know, just aesthetic choices and, you know, also just personalities, I mean, is a big thing. Getting along, I mean, everyone I work with is basically, basically my friend, you know, um, most mostly my close friends, actually. Um, so, yeah, that's all important to me. I mean, you know, just how how people are as people and then their sound and 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 um their choices musically and yeah so i tend to keep using a lot of the same people because usually the people i'm using too are not stuck in anything they're they're de constantly developing because if people got i'm always trying to push forward so if things got stuck in any way i probably wouldn't i'd stop using people but um the people I'm using are pushing forward on every level, you know. You mentioned that you have a couple other uh, album projects that are coming up. Can you just say a word about those? Well, I recorded another record for Criss Cross, which is um, going to be released in May, which those, you know, I do two different things. I do records for my label, which are, are sort of much more produced and take a lot longer to make. And then I do these crisscross records, which, you know, you get one day in the studio and you do them very quickly. And I like that sort of balance. That's why I do both both things. Um, so I did this crisscross record, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago. And um, it's with Dan Weiss, um, Ivan Dovsvik, David Varelis on piano, and um, Ambrose Akamusuri on trumpet, and Mark Turner on a few tunes. And um, I wrote some stuff basically the, the week and a half before the date. And I, I just I had time and I wrote a bunch of stuff and we went and rehearsed it and played it and and you know it came out good. Um, I still it's, I'm in the process of I have to go and pick takes and do whatever edits I need to do and and all that. But that'll be done in the next few weeks and then it'll come out in May. And then the other record I've been working on slowly for about a year and a half or two years, based maybe a year and a half, is a record of music. This is actually getting back full circle to your original question, which I'll answer now. Um, but I, I was commissioned by the Jazz Gallery to write some music over the last few years, um, which the Jazz Gallery, the one place that grants people some money without asking them to <laughs> explain themselves. Um, I wrote some big band music, um, which I did some big band gigs, and I have an idea I might record that this year at some point too, maybe later in the year. And then they commissioned me again to write some new music and I, some new, some more big band music. And I thought, you know, I've, I've done that. Let me do something different. I always wanted to write for strings, which was a lot to 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 do. But um, I had a, when was it? Summer before last a lot of time free because I had all this stuff with Antonio Sanchez that ultimately got canceled because uh, of the tour situation over in Europe. And I had all this time free. I thought, well, what am I going to do in the summer here now? I just started writing for strings. And I would write eight, nine, ten hours a day and get 
literally 30 seconds to a minute of music each time. It's, it's a lot. But I did it all summer, and I wrote these long pieces for strings, and we performed with about 18 people and a conductor and everything at the jazz gallery with strings and uh, saxophone and piano. John Escreet played piano. And uh, no improvising, just all through composed music, um, it was real class. Like you know, we were doing rehearsals, and a lot of the string players and the the um, conductor were like looking forward to doing it because they thought it was oh, we get to do sort of a jazz project. And at the end of the first rehearsal, the, the conductor came over to me and said, "This is classical music." <laughs> and I said, "I know. That's why I hired you guys." And he was like, "Oh, we thought there was going to be improvising and stuff." They luckily they really liked it, but they it was like you know this is it, first of all it's really hard, and. Um, and it's through composed, and it's all there's no improvisation. So I started. Then we went into the studio and started recording that. And uh, I recorded three or four pieces so far. One piece is over 17 minutes long, and another that's over 14 minutes long. And uh, I'm still in the process of mixing those, and it's just a lot to do. It's really with strings. Working with strings is is really hard. It's beautiful, but it's really hard. Um, and I need to still write a few more pieces. And record them to fit, complete the record, but that'll that'll be done by the end of the year at some point. Was that a process of musical education for you to learn how to write? That's, yeah, get, get, thank you, getting back to the... I think letting the writing flow in that way, because I've always written for, i got to write tunes, songs. Okay, here's this section and this section, and then there's a blowing section where we solo. And um, yeah, I've always tried to stretch that, you know, and I change forms, and, you know, people know my music is not just a head solos and head too often. But uh, but still, I never really got to let it really just go and just write, you know? And uh, once I did that for the strings, my whole writing thing changed. My, even for groups, I was think, I thought in longer forms. I thought in um, more through-composed ways. Uh, yeah, it just, it just changed in, in a way. And a, more, a lot of harmonic motion, if you, this new record, I mean, Graylin Epicenter, a lot of these tunes are 
harmonically move. It's I mean, a couple of the tunes they don't sound hard because they there's a fourth track, um, which kind of sounds relaxed and easy in a way, but it's really hard. And it was hard for us to get it together, and then to play over it. I mean, I'm playing over it. It's 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 basically. I mean, the harmony is it's two and a half minutes before anything repeats. <laughs> And it's uh, not at a fast tempo, and it's just moving all over the place. Uh, so it's 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 tough. And I started to hear that way, and it's been this period where I've been writing stuff that har- is harmonically moving everywhere. But that's all based on that whole writing for the strings thing, and really letting the, the writing flow in a different way. And I think from that point on, just yeah, that point on, it's you know it changed. My writing, and now I'm coming up with different ideas about things, and now I'm, I'm also trying to incorporate this thing where the stuff sounds—it sounds very organically, like improvised music or you know whatever modern jazz music. But at the same time, if you had if it was on a record and you dropped a needle in a different place, it could sound like a, a rock record. You know, if those sections where I'm singing, I mean, you wouldn't think that the stuff that precedes it does you know sure because it's it's completely different in a way but i i'm trying to make that all flow organically which i, I was really happy with this record because I, it feels like it does and uh, i don't hear that happening really you know um yet it will because everybody the younger people are are, are more versed now in in different musics but i listen to so much music in my head, I think I just, it's all natural to me to go from that to this and in one thing. It just, you know, um, it's natural. So I think that's, I'm thinking about that combined with all this harmonic thing that I, you know, started to develop with the string writing. Finally, David, uh, this show will air, so to speak, on the 27th. Are there some upcoming performances uh, you'd like to mention? Um, I mean, just the usual ones. Um, at the 55 bar every other Tuesday. Um, the other ones that I'm doing are are out of town. I mean, um, Montreal, I'm playing with somebody up there next month. And um, March, I was supposed to go back up to Canada. That just got moved. But um, basically, the gigs around town. And then in April, I start to tour, do okay. a, stuff with Antonio Sanchez and... Uh, and go out to California to do some stuff of my own, and and uh, May to Europe, and Ireland, and various places in Europe, and, you know. But but up until then, I'm just sort of around. I'm going to be working on these records and doing the 55, and probably you know other local. I think oh, we're doing the John Street thing very soon, actually. I think at uh, at the uh, oh, that's next month at at the uh, 18th Street, the museum there, okay. the Rubin, Rubin Museum. Museum, yeah. Um, you know, stuff like that. Great. And uh, folks can check the show notes uh, for David's website, and uh, there's a gig list there. Yeah. My guest is David Binney, saxophonist and composer, and I'm a big fan of your work, and I thank you for inviting me into your home and uh, taking some time to talk about Thanks the music. Thanks for having me, Jason. That was great.
That's music from David Binney's new album, Graylin Epicenter. I'm Jason Crane. This is the Jazz Session, presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is archived for free at TheJazzSession.com, and you can also subscribe in iTunes or using an RSS reader. While you're online, go to RespectSextet.com and buy all the albums by the Respect Sextet, who did the theme music for this program. Thanks to uh, Dave Rabel for the Jazz Sessions logo, and thanks to you so much for listening. Now get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back here next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.